What is up, 11 a.m.? How's Victory doing today? God's doing so many cool things around here. Have you, did you see the, the video, mainly it was probably on Instagram, that, you know, Victory's reach is literally, by the, the grace of God, it, Victory's reach is around the world, but there was an African orphanage that was singing one and dancing to one of the Victory songs, and it was all over the web yesterday. And if you haven't seen it, it's incredible, and I want to just encourage you to go online and watch it. Like, literally, all the way in the world, they're singing Victory songs to the glory of Jesus Christ. Can we thank the Lord for what he's doing here at Victory? Well, it's great to see everyone here today, and I just want to, first, before we dive in, I want to recognize and honor our senior pastors. The Bowies are in the house. We're so glad to have you guys here. About a month from today, Pastor Johnson will be preaching here at the mill, so we're super excited about that. Always love it when the buoys are here. And by the way, for those that don't know, if you're new to Victory or Victory Hamilton Mill, uh, the buoys were the campus pastors right here for 10 years. So it's like home away from home. So we're glad to guys have you all here at home. So, hey, listen, I just want to say something real quick before we dive in the Word. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, thank you for, I mean, it's a beautiful weekend. Come on, somebody. Anybody take a moment and just enjoy the sun yesterday. Oh, my gosh. It's been a gorgeous weekend. Thank you for just giving us a little bit of your weekend and being here. God is doing some amazing things at Victory. Some beautiful, beautiful things. And here's what I would say, and, and some awesome things right here at the mill. Now is not the time to sit on the sidelines. Come on, Victory. Now is not the time to sit on the sidelines. Now's the time to jump in. Somebody say, jump in. Jump in and get planted in the house. Listen, from our babies to our children, what God is doing right now, your kids are not being babysat over there. They're being ministered to. They're being loved on. Come on, aren't you thankful for that? to our students and what God is doing with our amazing young people and our young adults, to all that God is doing with our small groups that are about to launch in a couple of weeks. And then finally, even what the Lord's doing with our Wednesday night prayer right here at the campus, now's the time to jump in. Somebody say jump in. God is moving. Don't miss it. Jump in, plug in, however you want to say it. Get planted in the house. And here's the promise about being planted in the house. Look right here on the screen. Psalms 92. This was coming to me yesterday, and I want to speak it over you. Here's the promise of being planted. Those who are planted, somebody say planted. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, come on, say it with me, shall flourish. Anybody want to flourish? Come on, somebody. Shall flourish in the courts of our God. I love this. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Come on, somebody. I don't know what he's saying about old there. We're young in this room. Come on, somebody. But one day when we get old, we're going to bear fruit. Amen? And then it says, they shall, ooh, I love this. They shall be fresh. Somebody say fresh. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. Say this with me. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Amen? And we just declare that over you. That's the promise of God, that when you're planted, you will flourish, planted in the house of the Lord. So jump in. Amen? Jump in. Well, we've been on this journey. Speaking of jumping in, we've been on this journey since February. Uh, it's really been a deep dive of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
verse by verse, come on, line by line, we've been receiving truths each and every week, principles found in this powerful sermon that Jesus preached some 2,000 years ago on a hill. Thousands of Jews, Gentiles sprinkled in there, speaking to this huge crowd, wanting to know who this Jesus is and wanting to follow him. And I just want to kind of throw this out to you. We were talking about this as campus pastors earlier this week. Did you know that everything we need to know about life with God is found in this sermon? Everything we need to know, like literally Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it literally is the summarization of the Word of God. Everything we need to know about life with God, living for God, what we call the Christian life, is found in the Sermon on the Mount. And you know what? You and I, we could read and meditate on this sermon for the rest of our life, and we still wouldn't get all those revelations. Every time you go there in the Word of God, you get you know, greater revelation, fresh revelation. Why? Because the Word of God is not like any book that you've ever read before. Come on. The, the Bible, by the way, is still a bestseller. The Bible is a book that is alive. Somebody say alive. It can change you from the inside out. And so I want to encourage you, this huge journey that we're on will end one day in the late fall. But I want to encourage you every year, visit this Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and let the Holy Spirit just continue to speak to you. Amen? Speaking of, of him preaching, he was speaking that day, 2,000 years ago, and he's speaking to us today about what it means to live for him, to be like him. And those people, they, they wanted to know, what, what does it mean to follow you? And he's telling us how to live the Christian life. But this is the part of the sermon, and Pastor Johnson launched it a couple weeks ago. This is the part of the sermon where people begin to kind of like, wait, 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 wait a minute. They, they, they begin to kind of tune out or maybe even ignore altogether. Not here at Hamilton Mill, come on, somebody. All right. But there, and a lot of times when Jesus is speaking about money, and it's not only in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's all in the Bible, that it, it, it gets a little personal. It, it can be a little dicey for all kinds of reasons that we've already talked about. But here's what we, we're going to dive in today, and what maybe many of us in the room don't realize, is that if we don't guard our hearts and walk these principles out that Jesus talked about, specifically with finances, stewardship, and generosity, if we don't live with our lives submitted to Jesus and all that we have submitted to him, we will find ourselves enslaved to money. So let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 6, are you there? Look down at verse 19. Not going to do a review, but I am going to read the verses that we've already uh, looked at over the last couple weeks. Matthew 6, 19, New King James. Here we go. Don't store up treasures. Somebody say treasures. Here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. So where, where do you do the treasures? Look right here. Store your treasures in heaven. Somebody say heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Come on. There ain't no thievery in heaven. There ain't no sickness. Ain't no disease. Ain't, ain't no death in heaven. I'm telling you, it, when we store up treasures in heaven, that's where you're going to see the long-lasting fruit. Amen? And the treasures. So look right here. Verse 21. Where your treasure is... There the desire of your heart will also be. 
Just one thought, Pastor Johnson preached on this hardcore a couple weeks ago, but just one thought to this to summarize this. Jesus is contrasting a worldview of money to, versus God's view of money. And he's warning us, we've got to be careful about this, he's warning us against the trap of living for the now instead of living for eternal, living for eternity. So let's keep going. Uh, last week we talked on these two verses. Look at verse 22. Your eye, somebody say eye. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, look at this, how deep that darkness is. So just one comment about this. Again, go back and watch that message from last week if you missed it. Good eyes. Somebody say good eyes. Come on. God wants us to have good eyes. Good eyes refers to one who is generous and one who wants to help and bless others. Bad eyes is people that are stingy or greedy or selfish. Come on. For all of us in the room and those who are watching us on YouTube and Facebook, Father, give us good eyes. Amen. We want to be people that look on life, that we look on others, that we look on situations with God's good eyes. Amen? And then here's the verse we're going to look at today. Next verse, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For, he, he, excuse me, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal. Somebody say loyal loyal to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That may, may not be a word that we hear a lot anymore, but that's what we're going to look at today. You cannot serve God and mammon. The title of today's message, and I encourage you to take notes. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak some things to us today. The title of today's message is Breaking the Spirit of Mammon. Breaking the Spirit of of mammon. Can we pray together real quick? Holy Spirit, we just welcome you now just to come a little closer. Speak to us today. We silence the noise of all the distractions of life so we can hear and lean into your word. We also right now in Jesus' name silence the lies of the enemy over this subject. We just want to hear truth. And we thank you that your truth not only changes us, but it sets us free. So we open our eyes, Lord God. We ask you to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see. Lord, we open our ears to hear. And we open, God, we ask you to open our hearts to receive. Can we say that together? Lord, open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. And open our hearts to receive your truth. And Holy Spirit, help me speak. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Mammon. Let's, let's look at that together if we can just for a moment. So mammon comes from the Aramaic word that essentially means riches. Uh, but as we dive into that more biblical explanation of the meaning I want to just kind of give you kind of a summarization of what Jesus was saying when he said mammon. Right here on the screen, 
He was saying, of course, money, like we said, riches, or possessions. Now look at this, fame, status, and this really spoke to me, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. Whatever is valued more than the Lord. How many people know if we put anything before the Lord, it's called idolatry? All right? And so we got to recognize and understand that God's got to be first in everything. Amen? And I want to just kind of set the record straight for all of us in the room. we got, we got to understand this. It is not a sin to have money. Just don't let money have you. It is not a sin to have possessions. Just don't let what you own, or we should better say the word steward, don't let what you own possess you. Amen? And, you know, when you think about possessions and owning, uh, a, a lot of times, you know, when you look at America, America's called, the, America's called the land of opportunity. People come from all over the world to come to America to pursue and experience what, what we call the American dream. Um, but, but I want to just kind of give you a quick definition of the American dream. And, and it's not just about money, interesting enough. The American dream is not just about money. It's about having the freedom. Somebody say freedom. It's about having the freedom to live my life the way I want to. That's if we just summarize the American dream, and, and let me just pause on freedom just for a moment because I just can't move past this. I'm so thankful. I know everybody in the room is. I'm so thankful for those who paid with their lives so that we could have freedom today even to come to church. Amen. Are we thankful for our freedom in this country? Yes. And if you're in the military, veteran or present, thank you for your military service. Thank you so much. But here's what we got to recognize and understand. With the freedom that God has graced us through our military service, we have to understand and recognize that the American dream, you're not going to find the American dream in the Bible. It's, it's not there. Somebody's like, no, I think it, I know it's there somewhere. <laughs> the American dream is not in the Bible. And I'll just put it to you like this. The American dream is not God's dream for you. Did you hear that? The American dream. Listen, please hear me. I pray for our country. I, I'm thankful to be an American citizen. I pray for my president. I honor our military. I honor our police. I'm so thankful to live in the land of opportunity. But I answer to another dream. I answer to God's dream for my life and for my family. And we've got to recognize and understand what we're talking about here. About the, the dream. Whose dream are we living for? Are we living for our dream, the American dream? Or are we living for God's dream? Well, Pastor Chris, what is God's dream? It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's living life God's way. And in the context of what we're talking about, all that we have is God's. Everything from our home to our car to our children uh, to our bodies to the money that we all that we have belongs to the Lord. Amen. And we, we need to get that in us now because we can real quickly put our hands back on it. But all that we have is the Lord's. We're simply stewards. Stewards of what God has blessed us with. Speaking of that American dream, 
There is a spirit at work, a demonic spirit that is working overtime to tempt God's children into becoming consumed with money and stuff, to be controlled by money and stuff, and if we're not careful, to be enslaved by money and stuff. Somebody say, somebody say stuff. Stuff. I mean, it, you know, the, the biblical word would be possessions, but when I was thinking about it yesterday, and Lisa and I were talking out and praying through, it's just all stuff, right? I mean, st- stuff, is, stuff is stuff. It's, it's, it's everything. Uh, you know, and I'm even thinking about, like, I don't know who the person was that came up with the stuff crust pizza. <laughs> but blessed be the name of the Lord. In the 90s, that was when that came out. Anybody remember that? I mean, we were all, I was a, I'm still a Pizza Hut man, all right? And I mean, they had enough before that. There was plenty of cheese, but somebody had this God idea to put more cheese in the crust. And when you cook it, it's just like, you take a bite, it's like cheese everywhere. More, more, and more. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, and as Americans, we're, really, we're actually known for this of accumulating stuff more and more and, and more. We're, we're known for that around the world. Our homes are full with so much stuff, and, and you know this when you do a garage sale. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody done a garage sale in the last five years? It's alarming. We did one before we moved to Atlanta in Nebraska, and I'm just like, oh my, it was convicting. I was just like, something's wrong with us. Like, and then I'm, I'm bartering with the person, something that I spent $100, they're like, I'll give you two, I'll give you two. I'm like, no, you know, but, but, <laughs> but, the, but the fact of the matter is, you know, we, we have so much stuff, somebody say stuff. That literally, what is it, seven out of ten families, they say? So that's probably some people in the room. Seven out of ten families have an off-site storage to put more of their stuff. Stuff everywhere. And here's what we got to recognize and understand. The enemy wants to control the money and the stuff, the word there, possessions that we have. And, he, and he's real sneaky. He's, he's real subtle. He comes, he comes in a real crafty way. And I want to just kind of sum up, if I can, if you're taking notes on this, just really write this down if you can. He's got a, a subtle plan, a sneaky plan. It's the overall result. I mean, he's somewhere in the war room with the hordes of hell, and they're looking at you, and your name's on that blackboard, and they're like, this is what we're going to do. This is the ultimate goal. This is what we want to do with their money and stuff. Right here, number one. First thing is this, the lie that he wants us to buy into, that the amount of money and stuff you have or the lack thereof, is directly connected to your identity, status, and worth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Leave that up there for a moment. The amount of money and stuff you have, or the lack thereof, is directly connected to your identity, status, and worth. That's a lie because my Bible and your Bible tells us that our identity, our worth, our value, who we are, the very essence of who I am as a person, as a man, as a son is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not, that was the weakest golf clap for Jesus I've ever heard in my life. But, but here's what I, I want to say it again. All that we are is found in Jesus. All that we are is found in him. 
And the enemy would love to, and he does, he's a liar, he's the father of lies, lie to you that your identity, your worth, your value is found what's in your checking account or how successful you are. or All, all, all that stuff is going to crumble. It's all, it's all going to crumble. But that's what he wants us, in his war room, that's what he wants us to buy into. That's the result of all his lying, that we would attach our identity to all those things I mentioned. Our identity is found in Jesus. Our worth is found in Jesus. Our value is found in Jesus. Come on. Any success that we experience on this earth is because of Jesus. Any good thing that happens to me and you is because of Jesus. There's no good in me except for the goodness of Jesus Christ. Amen. The second thing he wants to do, and this is the eventual, as he works on us, eventually you become solely in charge. This is what he wants for us, the enemy. Eventually you become solely in charge of your money and stuff. And you live the way you want to. Those, that, that word solely in charge just jumped off it. I was writing it out and typing it out yesterday. I'm, I'm in charge, you know. And we don't say that, but we can live that way. We can operate our lives, our money and stuff that way that we never Ask God, and, and something that really jumped off for me from Pastor Johnson, what you spoke about a couple Sundays ago, and he was talking about, I can't remember the example that he used, but he was talking about when you got that credit card, you're about to make that big purchase, whatever it is, let's just call it the, the latest, greatest television, the, the 85-inch, 100-inch, you got to have it, I want it, I have waited long, that little 34-inch ain't good enough anymore, i got to have it. And what he said was, right before you're about to slide that credit card, that you'd be like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be in heaven one day. Do I really need this? Just a, it was just a check for us. But when we're, in, when we're in charge, really we're not. But when we're in charge, we're actually, it's like this. We're playing little G-O-D. We're, we're playing God. We would never say that ever, but we're playing God. We're making the decisions that we want to make what we think is best for us. And can I tell you what? That goes all the way back to Genesis 11, where God's children were building this tower. You, you, you know the story. Uh, they were building this tower. Now, before, God had already told them, I want you to, to multiply, reproduce. I want you to take dominion of the earth. I want you to scatter of the earth. And so they're all together, and they're building a tower, and literally they were building a tower to be equal with God. By the way, just side note, that was exactly what Lucifer wanted. See, there was a spirit that was behind the work of God's children, lying to them, getting them to, number one, the spirit came in when they disobeyed him. They were supposed to be already scattering so disobedience right there is key. But then there was a spirit operating behind the scenes. Why don't y'all just build a tower? Stay together. You're more powerful together. And you are so powerful. Pastor Dennis said this to us this week as we were studying and praying on this. He said, guys, this is the beginning of humanism being fleshed out in the world. This is where humanism really just exploded. It, it, it was birthed in the garden at the fall, but this is when it really began to take off. And they were thinking, we will be like God. Let me, let me just read one verse to you. Uh, Genesis 11, verse 4, it says this. Look, and look at the language here. Think about fame, status, building a name for yourself. And they said, these are the children of God, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city 
and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now look at this. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. Leave that up there just for a moment so we can just kind of get this. And this is kind of coming to me right now. Let us make a name for ourselves. Can I tell you what? As Christ followers, it's not about Chris. It's about Christ. I want to make the name you as Christ follows. We want to make the name above all names famous in the earth. Amen? They don't, let this, they don't remember me. Let them remember Jesus in me. Amen? But they're like, let us make a name famous. And of course, God didn't allow that to happen. He came down and he scattered them. And even gave them all different languages. They had to scatter. They had no choice. They had to go with their language and their group of people. But it's interesting. This incident in Genesis 11 happened in the land of, it was called Babylonia, which we know, of course, later as Babylon. Now, just real quick, history and Bible together, and they definitely are directly connected. Why why is this important? Because out of that time, out of the people scattering and out of Babylon being formed and coming into a powerful city and empire came the worship of many, many false gods. Many, many false gods or what they would call deities. And of course we know, and I just need to say this, a false god is a demon. We we need to recognize and understand that. You're you're bowing down to a a piece of wood or whatever else, and you're worshiping it. it, That's just a piece of wood. But what's behind all that? All right? And one of the particular gods that they worship was called Mammon. Mammon was known as the little G-O-D of wealth and pleasure. And can I tell you, we can see Mammon operating in America today so crazy. From Hollywood to Washington, everything is operating through mammon. Are you with me today? And Satan has used the spirit of mammon to control humanity during the formation of the Babylonian Empire and all throughout history and even today, Sunday, August the 20th, 2023. We see it, it's prevalent. Everywhere. And I want you to think about this for a moment, how we see the economic system of the world. Everything. We, we, we said this last week, you know, the world says money makes the world go round. We know as Christians, God holds everything together. The sun, the moon, the earth, he holds it all in place. We don't even want to li- him to lift his pinky. Come on, somebody. He's the one who holds it together. But the world thinks that. But can I tell you, there is a spirit behind the world operating full of greed and selfishness, and there's a plan there. Let me, let me just put it right here on the screen. Hell's great plan for us is to eventually rebel against the lordship of Jesus in the area of finances and come under the satanic-controlled economic system of this world. Not speaking of the world as the planet or people, there is a system that is anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-church, and is straight from the pit of hell. And there's a system operating and a spirit operating in that system that is full of greed and covetousness and materialism. And I want, you to, I want you to even think about this. Let's, let's go to the last days. What will the Antichrist in the last days, what will the Antichrist use to persecute people 
who refuse to take the mark on their head or hands. He'll use money. You got to have money to get this, get that, all kind of stuff. All of it, all of it, there's a spirit operating behind that. So let's bring it back to our heart. Somebody say, my heart. I went, I went deep there and big. Y'all okay? You good? Somebody's like, I'm still stuck on the Antichrist thing. Remember a second. <laughs> Stay with me. So let's, let's bring it back to our heart. But, but by the way, what I just told you is biblically accurate. The enemy will always use those things to make you think that God won't provide. But we serve Jehovah Jireh, who is our provider. Amen? He's our provider. So let's, let's bring it back to my heart, to our hearts. So here's the question. Who's in charge of your money and stuff? Who's in charge? Who's really in charge? See, money is neutral. It's what we do with it. Money's neutral. Money's not evil. Money's not good. Money's just neutral. It's what we do with it. And somebody is motivating. Somebody behind the scenes is motivating, or that word, moving it. And it's either, let it be the Holy Spirit, or it's the spirit of mammon. And as we are submitted to Jesus Christ every day, it's not a one-time prayer at the altar. It's an everyday prayer. Lord, not my life, not my will, not what I want. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. I don't want to build my little kingdom. Your kingdom. As we submit ourselves daily, somebody say daily, to the Lord, and we submit money and possessions to him, can I tell you what happens to the money and possessions? It's blessed It multiplies, there's overflow, and it always has eternal value. When you submit all that you have to the Lord, all that you have is blessed. Whether you feel like you're walking in like tight, tight times, and we all do. I'll share my little story a little bit later on about that. We all go through tight, tight times. Or you're you're walking in plentiful, whether whatever it is, when you're obeying God and you're submitting it all to the Lord, it's blessed. You might even have a whole bunch, but if it's not submitted to the Lord, it's not blessed. I want to be blessed, amen? But here's the deal. If money and possessions are not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's going to have the spirit of mammon on it. And here's what accompanies that. Fear, greed, selfishness. I've mentioned some of these things earlier. Covetousness, materialism. I could go on and go on. And here's what happens also. It is constantly being eaten up. Where when you are submitted to Jesus, you will find that your money is never devoured. But when you are not submitted to Jesus with your money and your stuff, you will find that it's always been like it's being taken from you. You can never have enough. Where's the money go? You might know what I'm talking about. And so we got to be a people that understand about the spirit of mammon. And I'll just say for all of us, it's time to break free from any of the grip that mammon has on our life. Amen? Let me just give you a few more things about the spirit of mammon, and then I'm going to give you three ways we can break it off our life. The spirit of mammon will always wreak havoc wherever it's allowed to rule. I want to say that again. The spirit of mammon will always wreak havoc wherever it is allowed to rule. So it, it will wreak havoc in your life in your marriage, in your family, in your home. The spirit of mammon, here's the thing about also the spirit of mammon, the spirit of mammon will use painful circumstances, personal painful circumstances in our lives 
to get us to distrust God and take our finances back into our own hands. He'll use painful circumstances like a loss of a job or, or something happens, a demotion or whatever, whatever it can be. He'll use those personal painful circumstances. The enemy will lie to you and say, God failed you. God doesn't, see, God doesn't have your back. Spirit of mammon will do that. And the spirit of mammon is always connected to fear. It uses fear to drive and control people's lives. The spirit of mammon. Now, here's where we got to really get this. The spirit of mammon. We're just, come on. You know what we're doing right now? We're just pulling back the curtain on the enemy. He's so sneaky. It's like the Wizard of Oz. It's just a little thing right there moving, you know, whatever those are. I can't even think right now. But levers. The enemy, we're pulling back the curtain to be able to say, here's what you're doing. We're exposing him. By the way, he doesn't like me saying this right now. We're exposing the enemy for, and all he does is lie. The spirit of mammon promises success, security, and freedom. But in the end, all it brings is poverty, fear, and bondage. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit, he's our great liberator. See, the spirit of mammon is always looking to enslave us to a life of debt and materialism. But the Holy Spirit wants to liberate us so that we can be good stewards of God's money and stuff and be an agent of blessing and generosity. Amen? Remember, the Holy Spirit always liberates, always sets free. He sets the captive free. The spirit of mammon will always bring you into bondage. So let's look at it together. How to break the spirit of mammon. Anybody want to just walk in total freedom today? Come on, somebody. All right? How to break the spirit of mammon off your life. Number one, you got to view your life in the light of eternity. You have to view your life in the light of eternity. Somebody say eternity. You know, Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. Eternity. Once we surrender, once you surrender your life to Jesus, you make a personal decision to make Jesus Lord of your life, you are no longer living for this world. It's, it's basically like this. I am no longer a citizen of this world. I'm an alien. I'm a pilgrim on my way to my destination, which is, which is heaven. Heaven is my home. This place is not my eternal home. My eternal home is heaven. If you're a Christ follower, the enemy wants to tempt you to everything about living for now. That your future is now. Do everything for now. You make decisions based on experiences for now. God wants us to look up. Somebody say look up. He wants us to look up and remember it's not about now. It's about one day with him. It's our future is not here. Our future is in heaven. And guess what? While I'm here on this earth, I want to do great things for God. I want to do great things for him. It's a little while. Come on. It's like, a, it's like a, just a blip in time. Our lives are. Bible calls like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. In the grand scheme of all of time and history, our life is like just a blip. But hey, how about this? While we're here, we live it all for God. Amen? That we advance his kingdom. And we got to recognize that our future is not here. It's in heaven with our heavenly father. Amen? Colossians 3, 2 puts it like this. Set your mind. Somebody say, my mind. Set your mind on things, say it with me, above, not on things on the earth. 
We've got to set our minds on things above, not on the earth. And listen, let's just be real in the house for a second. This is a hard thing for most people because we're living in the now. Here we are. You're going to walk out these doors, and most of us go to lunch or this or that, and all kind of, there's things calling your name, and there's bills and decisions to be made. And we, we get it. We all get it. Most people live for the now. They make decisions based on the right now. But can I tell you, we've got to be a people that are thinking beyond the right now. We've got to be a people that are thinking about the future. I'm not talking about future as retirement. I'm talking about your future one day. Now listen, one day when you take your last breath on this earth, come on, and I'm praying over all of us, it's going to be a long, we're going to live a long life, amen, in Jesus' name. But when you take that last breath, that you open your eyes and you see Jesus. And you're going to be in heaven with the saints and the angels, with a new body. Come on, new body. All right? With God's people walking in the beauty of his presence where they don't even need lights because the glory coming from his throne will light up all of heaven. Then we're given a new earth. That is our future destination. But I want to tell you, and just remind, but people, because we get so much stuck in the now, this is why people heap up treasures on the earth, because they think this is all there is. We've got to be living with eternity in mind. Eternity, amen? Look at this verse right here. Jesus, I said earlier, like he said, my kingdom is not this world. You know these verses, just two of them, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He says this, now look at the language here. Do not love this world. By the way, again, he's not talking about planet. He's not talking about people. Different word for God so loved the world. That's people. Do not love this world. What he's saying there is system. Do not love this world system. And the next verse tells us what it is. Nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, this world system, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Look at this. And here's what it is. The system. For the world offers only a craving. Somebody say craving. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Final verse right here. And this world, look at it, is fading away. This world and its system, it's fading away along with everything that people crave. But look at this right here. Here's the promise. But anyone who does what pleases God will, say it with me, live forever. Listen, I want you to think about those words that will live forever. Hell is eternal death. Heaven is eternal life. You will be eternally dying in hell. Somebody's like, man, I love hearing about heaven. Can't tell you what, but there's also a hell. There's a real hell. And that's why we need to be crying out for our lost loved ones. That's why we need to be living for Jesus at work. That's why I need to be praying for our neighbors and our coworkers because we want to see all those who are in our sphere of influence come to know Jesus. Amen. And we want to see them one day in heaven with us. Amen. So we're, we're living with a mindset of eternity. Not living for the now. We're living for the mindset of eternity. We're talking about how to break free. Number two, how do you break free from the spirit of man in your life? Number one, again, like I said, view your life in the light of eternity. Number two, maximize. Somebody say maximize. 
maximize the use of money for the purposes of God. Maximize the use of money for the purposes of God. Listen, most people, the majority of people, are driven by the almighty dollar. Here's my question. What's going to happen when all that comes crashing down? I'm an optimist. I'm a faith man. I'm a word man. But here's what we know. Whatever's not of God is eventually going to crumble. And I'm not going to put my hope in anything that will crumble. My hope and my trust is in Jesus. He's the only thing that's going to be left standing, him and his church. Amen? That's why we're doing this series. That we will be standing strong as the storms hit us, all the storms of life. But anyway, most people are driven by money. Can I tell you what? The people of God do not be driven by money. We need to be driven and led by the Holy Spirit. We're a Spirit-led people. Lord, I'm going to move over and let you take the wheel. We need to let God drive our lives and his money and stuff. But people who are driven by money, they get more, they just want more and more. It's just like that stuff crushed cheese. They just want more and more and more. And, and oh, heaven forbid you taste a little bit of success. Have you ever noticed you've seen people, if their hearts are not submitted to Jesus, listen to me, if their hearts are not submitted to Jesus, have you noticed, and it can happen to us too, if you start experiencing success, something changes. Have you noticed that? You're like, man, they changed. And you can tie it to people experiencing success. God wants you to have success, but for his glory, for his name, and for his kingdom. Amen? He wants us to be successful, but for his glory. Somebody's like, man, I want to be successful. God wants you to be successful, but not for your own namesake. For his name, for his glory. And But people who are driven by, by money and wanting more and more and more, they're ruled by the spirit of mammon. And let me just say this to you. Somebody's like, okay, so I have to be poor. No. God doesn't want you to live in poverty. And there's some people here that probably need to break off a poverty mindset. All right? God doesn't want you to live in poverty. He wants you to be blessed. And he wants you to be prosperous in here first. Body, soul, spirit, and in your life. He wants your family to prosper. But it's so that you can maximize the use of money and stuff for his kingdom purposes. For him and for his glory, Lord, all that I have is yours. So I'm telling my brother, for those that don't know, I'm the oldest of four boys. And brother number two, closest to me in age, we shared a bunk bed. Come on, bunk bed. Back in the day, always fighting each other. And uh, we're, we're very, very close. And I was telling him yesterday what I was preaching on, and I read point number two. He's like, oh, I got a story for you. And after he told me the story, I was like, bro, I'm telling the story to my people tomorrow. So... He has a dear friend, this guy's become a dear friend, who owns the largest, uh, let me make sure I get it right, the largest uh, bankruptcy law firm in the state of beautiful Alabama. All right. Did you hear that, Pastor Johnson? Beautiful. He's gagging. He's gagging right now. So, Father, would you liberate Pastor Johnson? (laughs) So... God loves everybody, even people from Alabama. So, so I'm telling you the post story. This, this is, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, I was writing it down as fast as I could. And, and so this, this gentleman, years ago, uh, before he came to know the Lord, he was a functioning alcoholic. He was living for himself and making millions. Family falling apart, marriage on the brink of divorce, 
making millions and millions of dollars for himself, traveling the world, doing everything. I mean, just bad, bad stuff and, and making tons and tons of money. And somewhere along the way, to make a long story, long story short, Jesus finds him. Jesus arrests his heart, and he is totally transformed. And he finds himself coming into a church, he didn't know where to go, to a church where my brother, still to this day, this was years ago, is the executive pastor of a church called Harvest Church in Dothan, Alabama. A beautiful, mega spirit-filled church there in Dothan, doing great things in the city there. And, I mean, he's just eating it up. He's jumping in men's small groups. He's going on men's retreats. He's growing in the Word. He's growing in his Christian life. Everything in him is changing. His marriage gets healed up. His prodigal kids come back. I mean, God is blowing up in his house. We'll just call him Joe, all right? And Joe is just on fire for the Lord. And the heart change becomes a philosophical change, which becomes a corporate change. He starts changing how he's doing business. They change the mission statement of the business with a kingdom verse. He becomes, instead of a, a businessman, he becomes a kingdom businessman. He starts having money, the money that's coming in, he starts using it to help people that are going through hard times. All kind, Just kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And God's, God's just blowing him away. And he even, he transformed the business that, you know, was focused all on making millions to get millions to go out into the community and around the world. He took every opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And this is the thing that blew me away. He started a daily Bible study years ago uh, in the, the branch. There are six branches across the state of Alabama, the branch in Dothan, the headquarters there. And they did a Bible study. And like 80% of the employees came to the Bible study. And the Lord said, I want you to get this to all the employees in all the branches. And technology finally caught up, uh, caught up with them. And now he streams a 730 to about 755 Bible study. And across all their branches, 80% of the employees have a Bible study with the owner learning how to be Christ followers. That's incredible. Kingdom, maximizing what we have for the kingdom, to use it for God's purposes. And he's even making more money now than he was then. But it's all going out for the kingdom. Oh, my gosh. If he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. Look at this verse right here before we go to the final point. 1 Timothy 6, two verses, 17 and 19. Look at this. Teach those, this is Paul telling Timothy, telling us today, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust, come on, say it with me, should be in God. Their trust should be in God. Look at this, who richly gives all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, verse 18, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. And generous to those in need, always being ready. Somebody say ready. ready. Always being ready to share with others. Final verse. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future. By the way, he's not talking about retirement. He's talking about heaven one day. For the future, so they may experience, come on, say it with me, true life. True life. It makes me think of that Winston Churchill quote. He says, we make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. 
Final point, number three. We're talking about breaking free from the spirit of mammon. The first one is to have an eternal mindset. Number two, maximize the use of money for the purposes of God. And number three, faithfulness regardless of the amount. Faithfulness regardless of the amount. If you want to break the spirit of mammon off your life, listen to me, 11 a.m., lean in these last few minutes. If you want to break the spirit of mammon off your life, then we have to be faithful and obedient when the very first things regarding money. And that's the tithe. That's the tithe. And I am so thankful. My dad's watching me right now. Dad, I am so thankful at 16 years old, he made me start tithing with my first job. I'm so thankful that he drilled, drilled that into me as I've drilled it into our own children and how important it is to them as they are beginning to make money, as little as it is, they're tithing it and giving it to the Lord. First things first. And I will tell you what, when my dad, and I just said the word made because that was a key word, he made me do it. I didn't have a choice. He made me do it. I don't know if you've experienced that before when you were young, but like he, he, he would take my check before I even saw it. Like, oh, look. And he'd, take, and he'd go cash it. And then I'd be like, well, there's not all the cash that I made in there. I made $120 over two weeks. I want every bit of it. I was, my first job, I was mowing grasses at rec parts. So I was the one mowing all the baseball fields, soccer fields, football fields, and then putting down the stripes. And that $120, man, I earned that. And so my dad would take out the 10% and then give me the cash. And I didn't understand it then. He walked me through it later as I grew in understanding and grew older. But now I understand of the importance of being faithful with God's money. Being faithful with God's money. Listen, I'll give you a verse you know right here on the screen. If you are faithful, somebody say faithful. If you are faithful in the little things you will be faithful in the larger ones. But if you are dishonest, God, help us be honest with your money. If you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. I pray all of us can be honest, God-fearing, and obedient with what God has given us. It's all His anyway. He allows me and my family to keep 90%. And let me tell you what, I'd rather be 90% blessed than the other. Amen? How I handle God's money tells him whether he can trust me with more. Are you here 11 a.m.? And if I don't tithe, listen to me. And I know some of us have had bad experiences. I shared mine last week. We've, a lot of us probably had bad experiences. And you saw manipulation. We've already told you that it's not this church. That will never be this church. But I'm telling you, it's not about the church. It's about being obedient to God. And if I don't tithe, I'm telling the Lord. I'd never say it with my mouth. If I don't tithe, I'm saying, I don't trust you. That tithe is mine. And listen, somebody needs to hear this. God doesn't need your money. He's the richest of all riches. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Hello. He's got everything we need. But he wants your obedience. He wants my obedience. And I learned that at 16. And I'll say it to you like this. And he wants us to trust. He's like, will you trust me? And, and I know uh, me and a gentleman were talking about this in the lobby after the 9 a.m. He's like, when you said it, he, I was struggling with it. He said, but when you said it, I said this, that the math doesn't make sense. But when you follow the Lord, you realize the tithe itself is supernatural. Our God is supernatural. And there's always just more than enough. God always provides. He says, test me on this. I will take care of my children.
I'll say it to you like this. God can do more with your 10%, that's the tithe, than you can do with your 100%. Did you hear that? God can do more with your 10% than you can do more with your 100%. We got to take our hands off it. We got to just trust and obey. Amen? And when we don't tithe, we're saying, I know it sounds harsh, we're saying that tithe belongs to me. When we, when we don't tithe, we're saying, I, I, I don't trust you. And, it's, and the tithe, is, it's a hard part. And here's the thing, and, and I'll just share this real quick as we get ready to close. Tithing is the first thing that the majority of Christians give up when you hit hard times. Just share with you a quick story what happened to us. It's the only time that I, I so I was tithing from 16 all the way until 30-something. About 32, I think it was, when I got a phone call from our alma mater, Christ for the Nations. We were youth pastors seeing beautiful ministry taking place, beautiful fruit in Thomasville, Georgia. That's like 30 minutes above Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida. And God was just moving and grooving, but we felt the winds of change coming. We didn't understand it, but like, man, we don't want to go, but something was happening. And CF and I, Christ for the Nations, calls and said, we want to hire you guys. We want you all to come and lead the entire youth ministry, teach people how to be youth pastors, and we want you to run the national summer camp and raise up a third-year school of youth. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's incredible. And we had all these, I knew, we knew right away. As soon as I told Lisa, she's like, this is God. I know, and we knew it was God. But then we went through the interview process, and at the very end, they're like, and then they told us the salary. And it was $10,000 less than what I started with five years ago. And I'm like, well, that's not God. I just, uh, I don't you know. <laughs> that's backwards you know that's what my dad said right away son I I don't know about this I mean God could do anything but and uh we had friends trying to talk us out of it and uh but we could not get away from it and listen the math did not make sense so we sold our home that a friend built for us in Thomasville Georgia and uh, we moved to Dallas and moved into an apartment and I'm like with a with one baby and another baby on the way I'm like, what is that? We're just going backwards. And God is blessing and blessing and blessing uh, the ministry. And, uh, but I stopped tithing because I was scared. I was scared. And it was disobedience. And when we moved, and I was justifying in my mind, well, we haven't found a church yet. I mean, Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, my gosh, there's churches everywhere. We haven't found We went to this church, that church. Like, uh, Lord, I, 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 you know, and I should have just tied to the church we are at in Georgia. And then when I found the church, but I was using that in my mind, but really behind all that was fear. We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. I'm in an apartment. I'm failing my wife. God's blessing the ministry, but I, I don't feel like I'm providing. I don't feel like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm being a good leader. All those things. You might know what I'm talking about. So we stopped. Guys, can I tell you, I don't know if this ever happened to you. Everything started falling apart. The kitchen sink, the car, uh, I mean, everything. The shower. I mean, I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> and then like a couple months in, um, the Lord just spoke to me one time, you have been disobedient. You have taken the money back. And man, right there, I just repented. And we went, wrote one of the biggest fat checks we've ever written to a church that we had found the church. Like, oh, God. And caught up. And over a few weeks, all those crazy mishaps that was happening, God just cleared it up. And we began to walk in the blessings of God, even though things were super tight. You know you can be super tight and still walk in the blessings of God and see the supernatural provision of God. And it all comes to trust and who's in charge. Anybody hear me? It's a trust issue. The message here is called trust fund. Tithing. It tells God, I trust you. 
I trust you more than in myself. Amen? Amen. To begin tithing and to begin trusting God. I'll just, I'll close out with this today. Last verse here. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. It's a trust issue. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithe and offering. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me even in this whole nation. Bring all the, the tithes into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And, and try me in this. Or maybe your translation would say, test me on this. Says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be enough room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer. Look at this. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fall bear fruit. Excuse me. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed for you will be delightful. You will, you will be blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. And let me just say this as we get ready to close. Tithing is not an Old Testament thing, even though I just read a scripture. If you look in the New Testament, it just goes to the next level. I've said this for years about tithing with the 10. It's like the training wheels. It moves into extravagant generosity. Jesus said, yeah, you should tithe. You should also do these things. Jesus spoke about it. It's all in the New Testament. It's not an Old Testament, New Testament. It's a God thing. And it's a trust issue. And it all comes back to our heart. Amen? God wants our heart. And I want to just pray together. Can we pray? Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we just want to thank you so much that you gave your all, your only son, for us. And maybe you're here today and you're just struggling. Not just maybe with the subject, but struggling with your life. Maybe you're here today and you're running from God. Remember, it comes all back to your heart. Jesus wants your heart. And it starts with surrender. It's just like, God, I surrender. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm, I'm just tired, Lord. And if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, God wants to meet you right where you're at. So if you're here in this room, in this moment, you're in a safe space. You're among family. But it's between you and God. And you're running from God. You're living life your way. Or maybe you've never even made a decision for the Lord. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today's the day to come back home to Jesus. If you're here today and you need to come to Jesus, can I just ask you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. All across this room, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, God sees your hand. God sees your heart. God sees your heart. All across. Wave it high. Give it high for me so I can see it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We surrender. Come on, will you say that? Say, I surrender, Lord. All of us, it's a daily prayer. It's not a one-time prayer. But I do want us to pray together. Say, Jesus, I believe that you left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross, and rose from the dead. For me, you took my sins and the sins of the world on yourself so that I can be free. So today, right now, I repent of living my life my way. And I give you my life. And I give you my heart. And I surrender my everything to you. To 
you alone. All that I have is yours. Help me be all that you've called me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, can we thank the Lord for those who made decisions? Thank you, Lord.